Hi everyone, I'm Ed Garston, and welcome to episode 68 of Tales from the Beat. I've got a great guest this week. He's Kevin Roberts. He's the Director of Industry Insights and Analytics at CarGurus.com. Now, Kevin's the guy with all the great research, insight, and numbers we reporters feast on for our auto stories to kind of help explain just what the hell's going on in the marketplace. Trends, preferences, all stuff that makes for great stories. And Kevin's among the best at making it all make sense so we can tell the stories accurately, we hope. All right, Kevin, uh, it's so great to have you uh, with us here on this episode of Tales from the Beat. And I know usually we're talking about all these numbers and reports that you have and want to find out from you really uh, more about what you do and and what your relationship is with reporters, and if we honestly, and if we if we screw it up, and if it drives you crazy, and and what you do about it. So, uh, so thanks a lot for for spending some time with so, Kevin. Let's see. I think we've been talking. Uh, what's it been? A couple of years since. Yeah, three years, I think now. And you're the uh, director of industry insights and analytics. Is that right? Is that the right way to say your title? That's so correct. What, Awesome. So maybe explain a little bit about what you do on a on a day-to-day basis and how you kind of got hooked up with car gurus. Yeah. So uh, not surprisingly, my background is kind of in the quantitative automotive industry side of things. So uh, econ math background. Uh, so obviously I'm kind of uh, the type of person who enjoys working with numbers yeah. Uh, and then I spent a large number of years in the uh, professional services world, uh, working on the automotive industry. So doing things like light vehicle production, forecasting, uh, mobility analysts, really kind of thinking about future of the industry and all those types of things. Uh, and all of that kind of led me to eventually uh, join uh, CarGurus almost three years ago. Uh, and so, yeah, now I'm the director of industry insights and analytics there. And, uh, you know, there's obviously an, an internal facing part of the job and an external facing part, which is what we're kind of talking about here, um, which is, you know, really kind of focused on three major things and three major audiences. And that's, you know, consumers. So people buying cars, mm-hmm. uh, dealers, the people selling the vehicles to them, and then kind of getting out to the media uh, and kind of sharing a lot of the great research and insights that we put together and uh, getting it out to the media and uh, people like you. All right. Oh, great intro. Because I was going to get to that is really when you're gathering this information, this research, um, why don't we sort of portion it out a little bit and then we'll get dive really deeper into how you deal with reporters. But where are you, where are you getting most of this information from? And then how do you, how do you decide what type of reports that you'd like to generate? So information comes in from a lot of different angles. So I can view it as first party uh, data, uh, which is going to be coming from, you know, data that CarGurus itself has, mm-hmm. um, you know, automotive listing website. So we have great detail on, you know, vehicles that are listed on our site on a daily basis you know, new use, what type of powertrains they are, make, model, model, year, all that type of stuff. Great, what I consider drillable data. Uh, so right. there's a lot of great data that comes with things like that and a lot of statistics and analytics we can run off of that type of stuff. So that's what I really consider like first-party data. Uh, yeah. And then it's really kind of blending a lot of third-party data. And so that is either data that we may, 
you know, pay for and source from other third-party vendors or publicly available data. And that can be as dispersed, uh, diverse as, you know, automotive data, uh, economic data, things such as like fuel prices. It can get kind of interesting, the types of data, housing starts, yeah. all this type of stuff. Different things can have different correlations with different parts of the automotive industry. So it's a pretty wide gambit of uh, different data points that we look at. So when you when you start, uh, you do you go into it with a with say a premise and say I want to find out if such and such is happening, or you just put it out there and say okay, I'll be led by the numbers and the data to make my conclusions. It depends. Uh, so there's obviously certain kind of beats and data points that we're probably going to be hitting on on a monthly basis. So I put out a monthly report. Um, and so a lot of that will be kind of data points that we kind of know what we're going to be hitting on. So we'll, what's going on with vehicle inventory? How many, you know, semiconductor shortage, you know, it, dealer yeah. lots are drying up. So it was a lot of like, hey, what's going on with, you know, vehicle inventory? Where is it sitting? UAW strike, what's happening to the vehicles that are out there, uh, you know, the vehicles that are on strike, how's that being impacted? So for situations like that, um, yeah, you might already have kind of a, you know, normal cadence that you're running on or a particular topic that you want to hit on yeah. um, for that time period. Other times, honestly, I think some of the a lot more fun type of stuff is kind of exploratory analysis, which is throw a bunch of different data points together into a pot or spreadsheet or something like that, start seeing if there's any kind of trends or correlations there uh, and really kind of just finding maybe a different kind of narrative um, from doing stuff like that. It, I mean, it, it's so fascinating. And, uh, you know, of course, for us reporters, numbers, we love numbers. We just, we just, I mean, they're just like, you get a number, you can make a 500-word a story out of it. Uh, you know, you can just seize on that number. And um, so that's why, you know, stuff like uh, like folks like you do is just so important to us. But I'm wondering from your point of view, why is it so important to get the numbers out to reporters? So I, I think it's a couple. The main one is really uh, we have our own channels getting information out. Um, but I'm fully aware that a large number of kind of consumers, maybe even dealers out there, or just kind of people in the automotive industry, aren't going to car gurus uh, every month and reading my reports. As much as I would like everyone to kind of go out there and just kind of read, like to think that everyone's kind of reading, yeah. reading all the information on lucky cadence. Uh, I'm, I'm not naive enough to uh, believe that. So, you know, the media and reporters in general really pay, play an important role which is kind of getting our data insights out into the market, into different channels that we likely wouldn't achieve on our own organically. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it's also kind of an interesting kind of uh, symbiotic relationship, which is kind of working with the media and reporters and telling stories. So there could be a story that we're looking to tell. There could be a story that you're looking to tell that we're looking to support mm -hmm. uh, with our data as well. You know, it's so funny that you use that that term symbiotic. Uh, in my other life, I, I do consulting for a PR firm. We do a lot of media training. And that's exactly the word we use is that uh, <laughs> the, the relationship right between reporters and PR and company is symbiotic because reporters need stories and you guys need coverage, right? It's it's promotional. So how much of that honestly is is pure promotion for car gurus to get the name out there? 
I, I don't think it's pure promotion. I, a lot of what we do is what we're going to do irregardless of what's going on out there, right? So I'm still going to be putting out insights and intelligence, you know, to help, you know, dealer partners and stuff like that. Um, it's really kind of one of those great convergence of things where we, we put this stuff together, um, you know, from a consumer angle or a dealer angle. And it also just kind of aligns as kind of that perfect kind of third, third place type of thing where I think it kind of works in perfectly with the media uh, on that end. You know, that being said, obviously, there will be times where uh, members of the media might reach out and have their own particular data request, which isn't something that we do uh, or don't have off the shelf. Uh, you know, we're happy to kind of assist on, uh, on that as well. But I, I think a lot of it is kind of everyone's kind of moving in the same direction and we're kind of pulling from the same type of uh, feed, so to speak. Sure, sure. So, all right. So you explained in the beginning of your background, your training uh, in, in doing this kind of work. Of course, reporters, we're, we're kind of generalists, right? And I know in my life, I, I mean, I've covered autos for a while, but my earlier days uh, working at other places where I worked, I mean, I do everything from mutations literally mutations of tomato plants, genetic engineering of tomato plants to uh, floods and hurricanes and murders. And I often joke that I uh, one of the few people that walked out of the living room of the suicide doctor alive. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, <laughs> we had a nice conversation and, and he didn't kill me, but uh, you know, so that worked out. But so we're generalists, you're experts. What's, what's kind of the challenge though in presenting your statistical and even some anecdotal information to reporters who are not experts uh, like you are and make, putting it in such a way so that we understand it because like that game of telephone, you tell it to me now, I've got to tell it to my readers or my, my viewers. Uh, so what's the challenge there in trying to get it down to that, that meaningful level so that it's not misinterpreted? It's a challenge. Uh, and I will say it's, in some ways, it's a different challenge from two different points of view. So you have the people who are on the automotive beat and may have been doing it for years or decades. And in some ways, that's an easier um, conversation because they already kind of have that historical narrative kind of built in. And then you have, um, you know, generalists, like you were saying, who may not have that historical knowledge. So honestly, you, you end up taking a role, I would say, almost as a history teacher, professor, because mm -hmm. you may be like, they'll ask why this is happening. You have to say, let me take you back four or five years, maybe even a decade, two decades. Yeah. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Um, had a recent situation where, you know, talking about electric vehicle prices. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, why is this happening? And it's like, well, we got to go back to like COVID and then talk okay. to the semiconductor shortage and then mm -hmm. Ukraine, Russia, then gas prices. And it's, you know, yeah. all that type of stuff really that layer of, you know, kind of backstory really informs a lot of what's going on. And, you know, everyone may not have that. The second thing is that it could be a number that I think is great. And then mm -hmm. the reporter, media, consumers, anyone go either I don't get it or I don't get why that's important. Right. And so a lot of it is really kind of drilling it down. So like one thing that we've been really trying to consistently do lately is we've been talking about what's been happening with average prices of newer used vehicles. And they're really, really high. And that price point is out there. But at the end of the day, from a consumer point of view, 
you maybe your eyes just kind of glaze over like, what does it actually mean and so a lot of it's kind of turning into a monthly payment type of thing because then you go oh you know compared to 2019 if i bought a new vehicle now my monthly payment would be x amount higher oh that's i can really kind of feel that a lot more okay. than someone just saying that it's up x percent type of thing right right yeah i mean it is it is tricky uh for us because i know that uh, you know for when you're out there long enough, you you see your competition, you see other reporters, and there are some reporters, right? Where where there's different types of reporters. Some that will uh, will ask a, a question that's probably going to ever be longer than your answer because they want to show you how much they know, right? <laughs> I'm sure you've seen that. Um, some haven't done the research and ask an ill-informed question, perhaps, uh, and some are just too proud to say I didn't get what you said, and then. They go and write the story and then poof, you know, it's not right. And so that that leads me really to the next thing. How often uh, do you find that you've done an interview with a reporter? Then you see this story and you go to and you read it and you go, holy crap, that's not right. <laughs> that isn't what I meant at all. I mean, how, how often does that happen? I will say I I've been exceedingly lucky uh, in that regard where. Uh, I think very rare occurrences that would happen. Now, that is probably due to a, a couple different factors. One, uh, like I mentioned, I spent a lot of time with the professional services world. So I am exceedingly um, cautious with my wording and a lot of stuff. And I, I think that that is part of it. Uh, secondly, we've got an exceptional PR comms uh, team here at Cargrews that really um, I think keeps kind of keeps everything kind of flowing in the right direction uh, on that regards. And on the rare instances that something may happen, we'll, you know, get that kind of corrected quite quickly there as well. Um, the other thing I always really like to do is if I don't know it, I don't speak off the top of my head. I say, let me get back to you on that one. Cause it's always better to say, let me get back to you and get you that kind of correct data point rather than trying to, spitball it off the top of my head um because that, that yeah. it's always easier to just get back to you uh on that one than not so i i would say exceedingly lucky uh on that front so well what do you do though i mean in the in okay the the rare cases that it happens then then what do you do do you approach the reporter and ask for either correction or clarification or uh do you let it go or if it happens more often, do you say that's probably not a reporter I want to work with anymore? And to be honest, I don't think we've ever, I personally haven't ever gotten to that kind of step of uh, mm -hmm. a multifunction type thing. I, like I said, on the very rare uh, occurrences, work with the PR comms team, reach out, clarification, ask for a correction. And I would say from, from everything we've, we've kind of dealt with, then it's mm -hmm. the matter tends to be resolved uh, at that point. Oh, well, that, that, that's very, for, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. When uh, I got sent up to Detroit in 1989 from Atlanta by, by CNN to take over when they had a bureau here. And my very first interview was with the main numbers uh, guy at Ford uh, when they still used to do 10 day sales. Oh, he, yeah. he, he was about, he was a crusty guy. I won't say his name, but uh, he was this crusty guy and he was three months away from retirement. And he sat me down and the camera's rolling. He said, you know anything about this stuff? I said, I said, I'm new. I said, uh, you know, educate me. He goes, all right. He goes, I'm going to give you some information. Make sure you get it right. 
listen to what I say and write everything that I say. And then if you don't get it right, we're never talking again. <laughs> I said, well, I think we're never talking again anyway, because you're going to be retired. <laughs> but um, that was my introduction to the auto industry and numbers, right? I mean, my first week on the job, uh, he scared the hell out of me, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I saw him a couple of months later. He, ca he came back to an Automotive Press Association meeting, and he smiled. He goes, I scared the crap out of you, didn't I? <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, you got it right. So, you know, yeah, uh, you're okay. But that was my So I've always been, you know, I'll be honest with you, Kevin, when I'm writing a story, like after I talked with you, and I'm, I'm going through it and I'm writing the story. I always imagine that guy and then uh, <laughs> coming after me. And then you come in and go, well, that wasn't right at all. He didn't get it right at all. So it, uh, it's it's an extra incentive, uh, along with wanting to be accurate generally, <laughs> to, yeah, to get it absolutely. right. But that, that's something that, that sticks with you forever. Um, but no, I have to say you uh, always explain it very clearly. I mean, I never come away from a conversation. I'm not just saying this to say it to you, but uh, not everybody is like that where I'll come away from it and say, OK, I understand completely. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm wondering, you know, we're hit with um, so many numbers in the auto industry from folks like you. Cox Automotive, J.D. Power, Kelly Blue Book, Edmonds, Mannheim, uh, you know you know them all. Um, how much, uh, and, and they all want their numbers in stories for one reason or another. How much, how much of that sort of, uh, do you feel a sort of competition in that way to make sure that CarGuru's uh, research uh, shows up in news stories? I don't feel it as much as competition. I mean, I would say the auto analyst community is pretty small and it's it's pretty uh collegiality is pretty strong uh i think a lot of especially a lot of people have been in the industry for quite a fair amount of time and we, we tend to see each other quite frequently at different conferences and events mm -hmm. and yeah or former colleagues or you know that i can't tell you the number of times <laughs> where people circle back and oh wow you're at this place now type of thing yeah. so you know i i think it's all pr pretty friendly um, and it's, yeah, I mean, everyone kind of wants to get their data and information out. Um, I don't really think it's any type of like challenge or competition. It's more just everyone kind of has their maybe kind of different data points that they have better access to, or, you know, have a little bit more kind of different angle on or stuff like that. And it's really kind of, uh, getting that kind of information out. Um, and honestly, I, I kind of view it a lot of the times is, some people might put out the same type of data and it's really just whoever kind of has the best type of, and we were talking about this before, digestibility of it. Yeah. I think a lot of the times is what kind of goes on it. So it's, it's if anyways, it's just kind of a incentivization to make sure and keep yourself kind of uh, crisp on that front about how to really make, you know, data digestible uh, or more easily digestible uh, for everyone out there. So do you, uh, do you ever look at what the other guys do and say, all right, maybe I need to, uh, in order to get some placement, I need to take a little different angle on the research that I present? Or does that not even come into play at all in your thinking? Oh, I, I think anyone in any career should be looking at what anyone else is doing and thinking about how they might be able to do their job better. I mean, I 
I frequently learn a lot, you know, internally and externally from different types of stuff. You know, you may be sitting at a conference on a panel and be like, wow, I really like the way that person answered that question. Like that was a really good way of answering that question. Or, yeah. I mean, and this isn't even just like an automotive thing. I, I, I like to look at charts. Uh, I'm probably unique on that point of view, but I could see a really good chart and I'll screenshot it on my phone and save it and like put a reminder, like, look at this chart you know when you're back at work type of thing and think about how you might want to like kind of rework your data into that type of format like that's a really unique way of kind of presenting data type of thing i think that could be kind of interesting so uh absolutely i i'm always kind of on the hunt for different ways to improve uh you know across the board at, at anyway type of thing yeah i mean that's why i mean i think back working at you know in, in tv while you had monitors up in the newsroom of all your competition, just to know what what you're up against and, and what everybody else is doing. You have to be aware of, of course, of what else is going on in your in your field. So what uh, what aspects of your, what subjects of your research seem to uh, really win the most play in the media? So it depends. Uh, it depends whatever the uh, top of the jour is, I would say. Uh, and then I think there's also some just kind of general seasonality uh, that goes on as well. So. I mean, right now, I would say the most interest tends to be around electric vehicles, EVs. For sure. A lot of interest uh, on EVs. I, I think kind of the one kind of turning around the corner right now might be hybrids. Like, I think mm -hmm. we've spoke so much on EVs. I think there's, yeah. you know, potential new kind of angle out there with hybrids. Um, but I mean, it really kind of, it changes based on what's going on. I mean, October, it was UAW strike. It was, mm -hmm. you know, that was the main question and EVs kind of took took the back step for a while. Um, you know, a year ago, semiconductor shortage. So then it was, how low is new inventory going to get? And then quickly, well, when is new inventory going to get back up type of thing? Uh, you know, year before that was what's going on with vehicle prices and how high are they going to go? Yeah. So I, there's, there's whatever kind of the topic of the day is, I think it's pretty easy to see there's pretty consensus or at least pretty easy for me to see based on the number of requests that come in mm -hmm. um what kind of the topic of the day is uh and then you know um there's just kind of some general seasonality trends like we're getting close to the spring buying season you know tax return season which is always big for the used uh, vehicle market and the new yes. vehicle market um so i know that's coming up around the corner uh type of thing so it it it, it depends and it moves around yeah well, i mean when it comes to evs you're, you're certainly right i mean that's uh uh so much so much interest in it i know we had a story uh this week because of the frigid weather about the teslas freezing up and in, in chicago anything with evs because we uh we're in a seo world right a search engine optimization world where we're after keywords to get people to find our stories and we have to embed these words i mean is that anything that even enters your mind is like what people are searching for on google and what types of stories people are interested in i would say it's not what people are searching for but i mean we i have a pretty good pulse of the requests coming in and so, you know, hey, when the UAW strike was going on, did we add in more UAW content to our reporting? Absolutely. Um, you know, EVs are obviously a focus right now. So do we add in, you know, a couple additional pages of content and data on EVs? Absolutely. Um, you know, may that stick, stick around 
Absolutely. It could 100% stick around. Or might we kind of shift things around based on what whatever the topic is. I, I always try to put in, um, you know, time time and bandwidth dependent, you know, kind of a one more thing type of content anyways on an individual month type of basis anyways is maybe something else yeah. we can kind of patch on that front. But yeah, it's I have a pretty good feel of what, what everyone's kind of uh, looking for uh, on that front. Mm -hmm. But I, I will say the interesting thing with the EV one is that... Yeah. Uh, it went from, I think it was very bullish EVs to then very negative right. contra EVs. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I, I think we mentioned this last time we talked, you know, the data can support either or. Yeah. It's, it's, one of, it's one of the most unique situations out there where the sales <laughs> data supports the bull case and yes. the inventory data supports the bear case. And you can right. really, you can really cover any base you want with it. So it's a pretty unique uh, coverage angle on that one. Uh, yeah, and people are passionate. You know, it's funny when uh, we put that story out about the EVs freezing up because of the cold. I mean, it's it's a matter of physics. It isn't anyone's opinion. It's physics, right? Uh, and you get the I call them the EV fanboys, and they and they get on uh, social media and go, "Wow, well, why is the media? I don't think the media should ever say anything wrong about EVs." And and you know, you think about it, and you go, oh, "All right, you know, at least they're reading. Who cares?" But um, so what, uh, without giving away any any of your secret, what what trends do you see bubbling up here uh, in the next, uh, I don't know, six months or so that you might be interested in uh, in researching and, and putting reports out that the media might be interested in reporting? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest kind of econ one I would put out there is the Federal Reserve interest rates and, and what's going to happen. I mean, the correlation rate between Fed funds rate and auto interest rates is not surprisingly very, very high. Right. Um, and with how, you know, vehicle prices have been coming down, uh, but interest rates have been going up so much that I think it's really counterbalanced a lot of that kind of, uh, uh, you know, gains that consumers could have been seeing there. So I kind of view what could potentially happen if and when the Fed starts lowering rates, how fast they lower them, what type of tailwind could that kind of give uh, the industry? It could be really, really interesting. Um, contra that, you know, what's going to happen with this post UAW labor agreement. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you're seeing projections go out of how much vehicles might increase over the lifetime of that contract. And we're already starting to see some, you know, adjustments of what automakers might be doing to kind of stop those costs from going on to consumers. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I already kind of mentioned before, but hybrids. It's yeah. been EVs, EVs, EVs for so long. I mean, we mm -hmm. just kind of forgot about hybrids. Um, yeah. And I really just kind of think that might be a really, I kind of view it as potential golden age, like a five-year window where hybrids could really, you know, accomplish a lot of the, you know, emissions gains that I think the industry, and I think most people are probably pretty interested in. I mean, I would love yeah. to increase my fuel economy, yeah. you know, 2030 MPG. I'd be thrilled on yeah. that front. Um, so I really think, you know, hybrids could be kind of that um, kind of intervening point until we can get the cost of the batteries down and EVs could really kind of get to that uh, point where I think everyone kind of wants and thinks they'll eventually get to. Uh, yeah, I think I think so, too. And plus, hybrids are great because people don't have to change their lifestyle. Uh, they can still go fill up like they used to and uh, not sit around a charging station for half an hour. Yeah, I got four small kids. I can tell you uh, <laughs> a literal a nightmare would be stuck. <laughs> Stuck in a charging station for hours. Yeah, uh, what do you I would do? say they're pretty vocal critics of yeah. uh, anything anything when time doesn't go well. So yeah, that yeah, hybrids are a wonderful thought on that front. Uh, road trips would be uh, really a tense environment for. Uh, oh yeah.
Yeah, that'd be that. That'd be crazy. I mean, there's only so many packs of beef jerky you can buy them and sodas to to keep them busy. But uh, all right. So as we finish, this has been so cool. Uh, we always give our guests a chance to take their shot. What do reporters do that drives you crazy? How could we do a better job? So I, I wouldn't say it's anything anyone does, and less kind of specific on reporters. It's really just kind of unfortunate how you know, the media industry in general has kind of been shifting. And I would say there's less kind of automotive reporters out there, both on kind of national beat and on the kind of the local beat as well. Um, so if anything, it's just kind of unfortunate from my angle, there's less kind of um, media to talk to um, for a lot of these different types of angles and stuff. I mean, particularly kind of like local um, conversations, because a, a lot of what we do and a lot of what I kind of put out is kind of on the national level, but there are kind of a lot of interesting kind of sub trends, mm. particularly drill into certain kind of markets and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, so it's really just kind of, um, I think it's just kind of a missed opportunity out there um, from the overall kind of larger media landscape. If we, you know, kind of had more kind of automotive reporters or people kind of focus in on that part of the industry um across the board yeah no no point well taken because i mean it's 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 a tough economic environment now in, in the journalism field where so many news organizations are trimming their staffs um there aren't as many people out there especially beat reporters the luxury of a beat reporter uh just almost isn't there anymore uh, and you're right. I know when, when I did PR and I worked for Chrysler on the PR side, um, I would see it from a different point of view. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence and you see the industry changing before your eyes and so many fewer sort of expert reporters that uh, honestly know what they're talking about because they don't they don't have the chance you're covering you can cover a fire especially at local tv station you cover a fire one minute and next you're covering uh, auto sales uh, yeah. so it, it, it's a really tough environment so that's that's well taken well kevin roberts thank you so much this has been fun i really appreciate you uh taking the time to be with us on the podcast today i really look forward uh to when i get a chance to talk with you for a story it's Absolutely. always good stuff. Always good stuff. The readers love it as well. And you do make it clear, even for, a, you know, an old dog like me that uh, <laughs> that uh, still has to think maybe 10 seconds longer than I used to when I was younger. But um, no, no, you you it's always great information and you make it so wonderful to understand and easy to do our job. So uh, thanks so much. And uh, Kevin, we'll uh, look forward to talking to you on a story soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. You bet. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. So great to speak with Car Guru's Director of Industry Insights and Analytics, Kevin Roberts. I'm just glad he didn't say I screwed up writing about his research in one of my stories. Well, thanks a lot for listening to this week's episode of Tales from the Beat. I'm Ed Garston, and I'll be back next week with more tales. Take care.